0: Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. Today is Saturday, July 9th, 2022, and we are broadcasting live in Chicago. Uh, My name is David Canfield, and I'll be your host for this hour. You can visit us online at thechristianfaith.org, and if you have any comments or questions you'd like to send to us, you can do that at notes at thechristianfaith.org. And we don't have a guest for the last segment of this program, so uh, we plan to open up the phone lines. And so if you want to reach us that way, you can do that uh, with questions and comments. So um, we'll give out that number a little bit later. But uh, I'd just like to begin this morning with a little prayer and uh, that the Lord would really bless this time. And uh, so, Lord, we just open to you. We just give this time to you. We just thank you for this opportunity to speak your word, to fellowship concerning your truth, and to seek you. Together, we just hide under your prevailing blood. We bind everything the enemy would do. We just say, shatter the kingdom of darkness in this city. Uh, We just say, have your way, Lord, and uh, work out through this time what's on your heart. In Jesus' name, for your sake and your glory, amen. And we've been talking, uh, we started to talk last week about uh, the ongoing aspect of our salvation, and we're going to continue that in this program. But uh, before we do, I just have some uh, more general thoughts, uh, just things that the the Lord has, I felt, touched me about this past week, and uh, um, comments also about some things that have happened, but... uh, uh, maybe maybe i 'll start with that, and of course we're we 're broadcasting here in Chicago uh, some will listen to this podcast online, but we broadcast in Chicago. and of course, this past week there was this terrible um, i don 't want to say tragedy because that makes it sound like it was a, an accident a terrible massacre uh up in in Highland Park, just an unspeakably evil act uh, you know just it, our heart goes out to the families and the loved ones we we lift them up in prayer that uh they would find the lord 's comfort in their in this their unspeakable grief that they're experiencing now. And, uh, uh, of course, that was this past week, the week before um, uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. And uh, I, I have to be very honest, I was happy about that. Uh, I know some people weren't happy about it. But uh, but these things, uh, these events uh, just reminded me, and, and I, I hope, helped others to realize as well, there's there's underlying things that are going on in our society. And basically, the reason why these these evil things keep happening or the reason why abortion is such a big issue in this country, whether it's legal or not, is because of uh, a breakdown in the moral order in our society. That's the fundamental cause. That's what's underlying these things. And that hap- that's happened because the Word of God is not honored and uplifted in this country as it used to be. And so one of the reasons, one of the burdens we had for doing this program is to uplift the Lord's Word and help God's children come back to the Word and to be in the Word in a much more serious way because we should be serving as a salt and the light in this society. And frankly, that's why America has been so blessed for so so many years, for centuries, because you did have an honoring of God and an honoring of His Word. Uh, that that brought in god 's blessing, but because that has declined in the recent decades, the moral order, as I say, is breaking down, and that 's why we begin to see these evil things happening and much more frequently in our society and i 'll have more to say about that in an upcoming um, episode of this program, but I just felt I had to comment on on these things because they 're so um, so near in to us, especially this last one here in Chicago, uh, and again, our heart goes out to the to the uh, the families and loved ones of uh, who were of the loved ones of those who were lost in that shooting, uh, and to the to to the ones who are recovering even now. Then I also so I also had some general thoughts just about things about uh, how the Lord has spoken to me. I felt in the past week and uh, just. Uh, just wanted to touch on that a little bit. You know, when when you serve the Lord, I've been serving the Lord for some time, and which is a real blessing. And uh, you just, uh, from time to time, it just happens. You just are uh, discouraged about your serving, and you can consider so many great servants of the Lord that uh, He's used through the centuries. Uh, you know, of course, you have the apostles in the New Testament, but uh, then you have the the great names that we we would know, um, uh, John Wycliffe. John Hust, uh, Martin Luther. Um, you know. More recently, you have men like Hudson Taylor in the 20th, in 19th, uh, 19th century, the great missionary to China. You have John Darby, uh, Watchman Neve, uh, Witness Lee. Uh, brothers, we really appreciate very, very much. And uh, you just consider Lord. It just seems so short in so many ways uh, compared to brothers like that. But the Lord, uh, I felt, just touched me. But just care for what i've put into your hand focus on what i've given to you do that with all your might and leave the rest to me and that, that was a real encouragement to me just focus on what i've given you so for example things like this radio program uh the website uh that we have the um some other means of outreach it seems like be faithful to what i've committed to you right and then the lord can work out something of his salvation in my life and uh uh, even bring in a blessing through these things. And so I just wanted to pass that on to you if uh, if you have that same kind of feeling that uh, maybe you're not so adequate in terms of your service or your labor before the Lord. Focus on what the Lord has given to you. Uh, I was reminded of Proverbs 17:24. Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth. Satan always wants to distract us. He always wants to turn us away from the thing right in front of us to get us to focus on things that are just we have no control over, things that are far away from us. We need to focus on what's in front of us. That's when our labor is going to be blessed, and that's when the Lord can really do something through us. Praise the Lord for that. So that was the first thing, and then uh, something else that really was helpful to me this week. I and mean, I've been spending some time in Philippians chapter three, uh, the section where Paul talks about pursuing Christ in uh, verses seven through fourteen, and that's that's a section of the Word. Every uh, every young believer should should memorize. Uh, I read something recently. Uh, one brother I, I appreciate very much said that that every young believer needs to memorize this portion of the Word because it's 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 so uh, such an exhortation to pursue Christ, to follow Him, to seek to know Him. Now it's it, uh, Philippians three seven. What things were gains to me? These I have counted loss on account of Christ. But moreover, what, what, um, all the things that were gains to me, whatever was gains to me, these I have counted loss on account of Christ, that I may, uh, I count them as refuse. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse, that I may know Christ uh, and be found in him, Paul goes on to say. This is a tremendous section about knowing Christ and being found in him. Uh, in verse 10, um, Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. And I focused on that verse, and I was really uh, reminded, in terms of dealing with who I am, in terms of allowing the Lord to work something in me, it really takes the power of his resurrection life. I can't do that by myself. I shouldn't seek to improve myself by my own effort. I can't deal with who I am by my own effort. That's never going to work. I really need the power of his resurrection and also the fellowship of his sufferings. The Lord brings us through things to deal with us day by day and we need to submit to the Lord's arrangement and allow him to work in us through our sufferings and just say, Lord, I don't know why this is happening, I don't know why you've allowed this, but I just uh, submit to what you've arranged in my life. Uh, And then we can be, as the verse goes on to say, conformed to his death. It's through these two things, the power of the resurrection of Christ and the fellowship of His sufferings. It's not by our effort. It's by Christ working within us. And so that's that's just a marvelous section in Philippians and uh, Philippians chapter uh, 3 verses 7 to 14. Praise the Lord for that. So in the last program, uh, last week, we began to talk about this matter of the ongoing salvation of the believers. And We quoted a number of verses that speak in the New Testament about how we are still in the process of being saved. You know, one example is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, because it's God who works in you, both the willing and the working of his good pleasure. So, uh, and there's a number of verses like that that say, because there's verses on the one hand, and we said there's, as we said, there's always two sides to the truth. There's one side... Uh, concerning salvation, which shows that we are already eternally saved. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, uh, the Apostle Peter, he's saying, uh, he's preaching the gospel for the first time uh, on the day of Pentecost. And he quotes the Old Testament, the prophet Joel, and he says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, that's Acts chapter 2, verse 21. Very simple. If you simply call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Uh, That's the Apostle Peter, again, as I say, quoting the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. That's on the day of Pentecost, the very first gospel message that was ever preached. That's speaking of the once for all eternal salvation. And again, we would say, if you haven't had that experience yet of being saved, of allowing the Lord to come inside of you, of confessing that you're a sinner... We would just encourage you and urge you to open your heart right now and say, Lord, I just confess I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose again from the dead. Come and live inside of me. I believe in you and I trust you and I claim the salvation that you provide for me in Jesus Christ. When that happens, you receive the forgiveness of sins and your eternal destiny is secured. Praise the Lord for that. That's just God's wonderful free gift of salvation. We're just so thankful to the Lord. Uh, that he, he makes this gift available to all who believe in him by faith. But there's other, other verses in the New Testament that speak of salvation as something that's ongoing. And again, that's, that's Philippians uh, chapter 2 is a very striking example of that. Uh, but there's many, a number of other verses as well that we went through last week. So there's two sides. Uh, yes, we're saved once for all, but yes, we're still in the process of salvation. And so to give some context for this, it seems like we need to cover a very significant topic in the New Testament and and to consider in what respect are we still being saved. And that topic is called in the New Testament, specifically in the Gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of the heavens. Now, the phrase, the kingdom of the heavens, is only used in the Gospel of Matthew, that exact phrase. There's one other place that I've been able to find where a very similar phrase is used. And where that is, it's is quite significant, but it's a, it's a slightly different phrase. But, but the exact phrase, the kingdom of the heavens, is only in the Gospel of Matthew. And that's because the Gospel of Matthew focuses on Christ as our heavenly king. You know, each of the Gospels presents Christ in a different way. Matthew is Christ as the king. Mark is shows us Christ as the slave of God. Luke shows us Christ as a genuine, perfect, normal man. And John, of course, shows Christ as God who became a man in the flesh. So each of them bring out a different aspect of who Christ was. That's why we need four different Gospels. But Matthew is the Gospel of Christ as the Heavenly King. And so that Gospel is unique. It speaks of... Uh, the kingdom of the heavens. Uh, it begins in uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, when John the Baptist comes forth to to preach, he says, uh, repent for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. And when, of course, when Jesus himself came forth to preach, he said the same exact same thing, repent for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. They weren't saying the end of the world is here, uh, this, it's all going to be over in a very short time. They said, repent, for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. So we need to consider what this phrase means. What is the kingdom of the heavens? Because some people would say, well, it's interchangeable with the kingdom of God. Uh, but there's there's no basis in the New Testament for that view. I mean, when the, the New te- when uh, a book of the Bible uses a phrase like that, it's very, very significant. And we shouldn't just uh, consider it in a light way and just assume uh, that it it's interchangeable with other terms. It's using that term for a very specific reason. So we have to understand that. We have to look at the whole Bible. What is what is this kingdom of the heavens that uh, John the Baptist spoke of and that Jesus also spoke of? Well, in the Bible, what you see is God created mankind for the sake of, so that man could rule over the earth on God's behalf. That's when, when God created us, he said, let him... He created us in his image and likeness, and then he said, let him have dominion. That's Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And what we see in the Bible is God has different arrangements, depending on man's condition before him, for how the earth is to be ruled on God's behalf. And these are called... uh, dispensations by this it. is a term that has come come to be used to describe these different arrangements and this overall teaching is called dispensationalism well the Bible is dispensational the theology of the Bible is dispensational there's just no getting around that there are different arrangements God has in the Bible for how the earth is to be ruled on his behalf so the first one of these arrangements we won't the dispensations that's a You you can use a different word, so a simpler word might be uh, just to say arrangements. The first of these arrangements was when Adam didn't have any sin, that's called the the Age of Innocence, and and at that time man was simply in God's presence. Then the second one, after man fell, was called the Age of Conscience. Now we weren't so much directly in God's presence anymore, but God said, okay, you're fallen, you're sinful, but what I want is for you to live by your conscience and try to obey me that way, but that failed. Uh, at the time of the flood, man—the uh, wickedness of man was great on the earth—so God brought in the flood to judge mankind. So after the flood, God uh, said to Noah, He said, uh, He makes a covenant with Noah, and He says, Whoever sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. And that's in uh, Genesis chapter nine. I'm not—I think it's verse four. So that set up another arrangement that put the responsibility for governing the earth in the hands of human government, because whoever sheds man's blood, by man will his blood be shed. That's the arrangement of government. And that lasted up until the time of the Tower of Babel, uh, when mankind as a whole rebelled against God. And at that time, God gave up on the earth uh, as a whole. He wasn't going to try to deal with mankind by saving the whole earth anymore. Now he called one to follow him. That was Abraham. He uh, was called out. He was the the father of the called race. All those who would come out of the called race to follow God, uh, he's the father of all those people. And so that's the age of the patriarchs uh, from Abraham up until the time of Moses. And of course, at the time of Moses, you have the law and the nation of Israel. That's the, uh, the age of the law. In the New Testament, you have the age of grace. At the end of this age, you're going to have the age of the kingdom, when Christ comes, you're going to have the one thousand year reign of Christ, and so that's just a very general view of these different arrangements, these different dispensations, and there's you have there are different ways of looking at them. You could say there's four main ones: before the law, the law, the church, and, and the kingdom. But you have to look at these different arrangements and ask the question because we're considering what is the kingdom of the heavens. Now, uh, Matthew gives us a very good definition. Of the kingdom of the heavens, and that's in what people call the Lord's Prayer. It's in Matthew nine, uh, Matthew six rather, chapter Matthew chapter six, verses nine and ten. That's where the Lord teaches His disciples to pray, "Our Father who is in heaven, your name be sanctified." Then verse ten, "Your kingdom come, your will be done, as in heaven so on earth." And that's really the definition of the Kingdom of the Heavens. The Kingdom of the Heavens is when God's will is done on the earth as it is in heaven, because God today is still in heaven. It means the heavens are ruling over the earth. That's the Kingdom of the Heavens. So, uh, we need to look at these different arrangements and see in which of these arrangements we have the heavens ruling over the earth and we'll just go again through them quickly you have in the age of uh, innocence were the heavens ruling over the earth at that time no because God was directly on the earth with man uh... then you had the age of conscience and no God really didn't have a ruling uh... on the earth at that time uh... man was just living according to his conscience the same thing in human government at the time of the patriarchs you do have something of a miniature of uh... the kingdom of the heavens because there uh, you have Abraham was under living under God's authority. And so uh, when Melchizedek meets him at, in Genesis chapter 14, uh, Melchizedek blesses Abraham and he, said, he says, um, blessed be God, the ruler of heaven and earth, because God had a man who could represent him on the earth, namely Abraham. And so that's kind of a miniature of the kingdom of the heavens, but you didn't have a kingdom yet, so you couldn't really say at that time it's the kingdom of the heavens. But it is a little picture of the kingdom of the heavens. But, okay, then after Abraham, you have the giving of the law in the whole Old Testament age. Well, do you have the heavens ruling over the earth at that time? The answer is still no, because the, this, the hallmark of that arrangement was that God dwelt among his people on the earth. He dwelt in the tabernacle first and then in the temple. God wanted to be with his people on the earth. So, in that sense, he came down to the earth, and his ruling was from among his people on the earth. So the ruling was not from the heavens, so no, you still don't have the kingdom of the heavens at that time. So then there's a transition between the Old Testament, uh, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant, but eventually you have the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost and the New Testament age fully begins. Do you have the kingdom of the heavens at that time? And the answer is yes. This is when the kingdom of the heavens begins. Because you have God and Christ in heaven ruling over a people on the earth. And again, that fulfills the definition of the kingdom of the heavens. Your kingdom come, your will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. But today, of course, the kingdom of the heavens is with us in a hidden way, in a mysterious way. Uh, You can't see it. It's not something visible. But there are some people who live under the heavenly authority. And that's where you have the reality of the kingdom of the heavens. And it does not mean all of God's children are living that kind of life. Only some of God's children enter into the reality of the kingdom of the heavens. But eventually, uh, at the end of this age, then Christ is going to come down. He's going to establish his throne on the earth. And then the kingdom of the heavens is going to be openly manifested. Then everybody's going to see it. Praise the Lord for that. We so look forward to that day and the coming of the Lord to establish his kingdom on the earth. So is that the kingdom of the heavens? And the answer is yes, because God is still in heaven. He has not yet come down to the earth. Christ has established His throne on the earth, and it's a little—it's not exactly clear where God's people, uh, the believers, the, the New Testament believers, will be during that time. I, I wouldn't uh, really want to to say so definitely whether we'll be on the earth at that time with Christ or whether we'll be in in, um, in heaven with Christ before uh, God comes down to the earth. It's a little hard to say, I think so far as I know, at least. But that is still the kingdom of the heavens because God is ruling over the earth from the heavens. In this age it's hidden, but at that time it's going to be fully manifested. So that's the open manifestation of the kingdom of the heavens. And then you have uh, the end of the millennium, you have the last rebellion of Satan, you have uh, he's cast into the lake of fire, all the, those, uh, the unrepentant sinners are cast into the lake of fire the old heaven and old earth pass away you have the new heaven and a new earth and then in uh, Revelation 21 and 22 the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven to the earth so the new Jerusalem is on the earth for eternity so is that the kingdom of the heavens and no it's not because now you have God dwelling with his people directly on the earth so when you look at all these arrangements The point to see, the clear the point we need to emphasize is there's only two times in these arrangements where the heavens are ruling over the earth. That's in the present dispensation, the present arrangement, in a hidden way, and in the coming arrangement, the millennium in an open way. And so the Gospel of Matthew is talking that's what it's talking about when it says the kingdom of the heavens has drawn near. Now when Christ came, his he sought to bring in this kingdom among the Israelites at that time. But, of course, they rejected it. First, they rejected and and killed John the Baptist, and then they killed the Lord himself. And so the Lord at that time, uh, because they rejected him, he, for the time being, has rejected the nation of Israel. I want to stress all of God's promises to the nation of Israel are going to be fulfilled in the 1,000-year reign of Christ. But for the time being, because... uh, because the Jews have rejected their Messiah, God has set them aside. And that's why you see their terrible history over the past 2,000 years. The destruction of Jerusalem, God put an end to the temple sacrifice and uh, scattered the Jews. And uh, they've been suffering ever since. But the fact that they're back in the good land now, uh, even in possession of Jerusalem, is a strong indication the end is getting near. We're not that far away anymore. You know, We can't predict. Uh, I think if you get into, try to look, too closely occurring events and predict this or that, it, it often you just end up embarrassing yourself. But the major things you can look at and say, we are getting close. And one of the major things is the fact that Israel is back in the good land. Now they haven't turned to the Lord yet. That won't happen till, until later, according to the book of Zechariah. Um, I think like uh, verse thirteen, uh, chapter 13, I think it is, talks about that. That's when they really turn to the Lord. That hasn't happened yet, but at least we're beginning to see uh, the preparation for the end times. That's what the Lord told us about in Matthew 24. When when you, the, the tree puts forth its leaves, you know that it's near. Now that tree doesn't have any fruit yet. There's no fruit yet to God, but the leaves are there. The children of Israel back, are back in the good land, and that should warn us The time is clear. It's another fulfillment of biblical prophecy. But for the time being, as I say, the Jews have rejected Jesus, and so God has set them aside and has said instead... He's setting up his kingdom on the earth through the church in a hidden way. And as the believers, we should be those who are living under the heavenly ruling of Christ. That's, if we're living under that ruling, then we're living in the reality of the kingdom of the heavens. And that's what's going to prepare us to reign with Christ in the manifestation of the kingdom of the heavens. But if we're not under the heavenly ruling today, then there's going to be a real problem when we go, uh, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Second Corinthians 5.10, because we're going to be judged there according to what we did in the body. That's a very crucial verse. We'll receive the things done through the body, whether good or bad. So we should seek to uh, live under the ruling of Christ as our heavenly king. If we're doing that, then we are in the reality of the kingdom of the heavens, we'll be prepared for the Lord's return to reign with him when he comes back. But if not, there's going to be a very serious discipline. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in uh, the next section, but that's, I think, enough for for this first section of the program today. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org, to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the ChristianFaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge, both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life, and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab, or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website, or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the ChristianFaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children, for His sake and His glory. Amen. Welcome back to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. And in this segment, we're going to continue this uh, discussion of the Kingdom of the Heavens as i say in the last segment we'll we'll open the phone lines and and see if anyone has a uh, questions we do have a couple of questions i received from a, a dear listener i know uh so we'll we'll cover those but if you if you want to call in for the next segment that number is 773 it's a 773 number and uh if you have questions or comments because i know this this word is not very commonly taught among christians today it's uh Um, not something, frankly, Christians like to hear a lot about because, you know, we said in the last program, we tend to like the free part about salvation, and there is a free part. The eternal uh, salvation is God's free gift to all those who believe in Christ. And what we're saying now about the kingdom of the heavens doesn't affect that. That only affects this coming age, the 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth. But our eternal destiny is secure the moment we believe in Christ because God wants to make sure it's as easy as possible to have our sins forgiven. For us, for him, it was not easy. He had to give up his only son on the cross to bear our sins. That, but that, God took that on himself. For us, it's simply a matter of opening our heart and believing in the Lord. So, um, so it doesn't affect, what we're saying here does not affect uh, the eternal security of our salvation. But we need to understand there is a reward if we're faithful to follow Christ in this age and there is a discipline if we don't follow Christ in this age. You know, uh, the Lord says in Matthew 16, He says, uh, uh, Matthew 16, verse 27, the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He will reward each according to His works. Uh, whenever you 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 share along this line, people uh, people will will say, well, that's not grace; that's a works righteousness. Well. Uh, I'm not sure it's right to call it a works righteousness, but it's absolutely right to say we will be rewarded according to our works. And that's in the New Testament, whether you like it or not. That's the Lord's own word. Uh, at the very end of the Bible, he says, uh, I don't have the reference offhand, uh, Revelation 22, I'm not quite sure. the uh, His reward is with him, uh, to reward each one uh, according to his works, along those same lines. So that's in the New Testament. There's other verses as well. It's not, again, I'm not quite comfortable with the term works righteousness, but we will be rewarded according to our works. There's a gift that's according to faith, but the reward is according to our works. So in the last section, we spoke about the kingdom of the heavens, and we pointed out that's only mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, specifically mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew. But there's another term that's only mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew. And we just sent out this morning, I just sent out an email about this uh, called The Kingdom and the Darkness. And again, if you'd like to sign up to receive these emails, uh, just send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org or you can go to the website thechristianfaith.org and click on the subscription link and sign up for our email there. And uh, so we sent out an email this morning, The Kingdom and the Darkness. And the point was, there's a direct relationship <clears throat> in the Gospel of Matthew between the kingdom of the heavens on the positive side and on the negative side, you have the outer darkness. If we are faithful to reign with, to be under the ruling authority of Christ in this age, that means we're living in the reality of the kingdom of the heavens today when that's not easy to do. Uh, this whole age is against us, living that kind of life, living under the authority of Christ. there's a That takes some real commitment to the Lord, and the Lord knows that, and He rewards us for living that kind of a life. Again, He says He's going to reward each one according to His works, and that reward is we enter into the kingdom of the heavens. But if we are not faithful to the Lord, if we simply live as we see fit, if we're not under the heavenly ruling of Christ, Then we're not living in the reality of the kingdom of the heavens today we're just not under the heavenly authority and so we will not be prepared to enter into the kingdom of the heavens when the lord returns that's simply the way we've chosen to live our life and the lord sees that and he knows we're not ready to to reign with him and so in that case the gospel of matthew shows us we don't enter into the kingdom of the heavens in its manifestation instead We enter. We will be sent to the outer darkness for that thousand-year period. That thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. In other words, it will be a time of very. I'm not maybe severe. Maybe severe is the right word. Very um, real discipline for us as the believers in Christ to prepare us to finally enter into uh, the heaven, the the ruling of Christ for eternity. At the end of that age, all the believers will be brought together, again, in the New Jerusalem for eternity. Again, we have to stress that. We're not saying you can lose your salvation. But that thousand-year period will be a time of suffering for us in the outer darkness. And you can look up these references in the Gospel of Matthew. Again, this is only the term, the outer darkness. These two terms are only used in the Gospel of Matthew. One on the positive side is the kingdom of the heavens. On the negative side is the outer darkness. Uh, Matthew 8, 11 through 12 uh, Jesus says, many will come from east and west, he says, uh, and, uh, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here you see on the positive side, the kingdom of the heavens, on the negative side, the outer darkness. In Matthew 22, uh, the Lord, he likens the kingdom of the heavens to a wedding feast. And he says, then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into the outer darkness. There will be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Because he saw this one in the wedding feast who did not have a wedding garment. Even one who got into the wedding feast was cast out into the outer darkness because he did not have uh, a wedding garment. And that takes uh, some real consideration how that could possibly happen. But it does happen according to the Lord's word in this parable in which he is speaking of and illustrating the kingdom of the heavens. This A guest goes to the outer darkness. Again, the positive side is the kingdom of the heavens, the wedding feast, the negative side is the outer darkness. And the last one is in the parable of the talents, you have the unfaithful servant. The first two servants, the Lord says, uh, enter into the joy of your Lord. But to the last one, he says, cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. To my fellow believers in Christ, I just urge you, don't just dismiss these words. Don't say, well, that has to be an unbeliever. No, the outer darkness does not refer to the lake of fire. It's closely related to the kingdom of the heavens. It refers to the reigning period of Christ, but it's on the negative side. Instead of reigning with Christ, we may be in the outer darkness. Uh, And again, if you have uh, questions, you can send us a note or or call us and uh, we'll try to uh, answer them. Because this is a teaching I know a lot of Christians are simply not familiar with. Uh, But it's there. It's in the New Testament. And we we shouldn't just take the parts we like. This is a very sober word. We have to be very fearful before the Lord that we have a proper understanding of what this is really speaking of. So, um, in the Gospel of Matthew, we have two parables that really illustrate this matter of... uh, missing out on the kingdom of the heavens and so that's we want to take some time now to to look at these parables Uh, we may just have time to get to the first one Uh, the first one of course is the parable of uh, the ten virgins and the second one is the parable of the slaves and those are both in matthew 25. and just the location of these parables should tell us these are spoken to the believers in christ first of all they're in this book that deals so much with the matter of the kingdom of the heavens. But secondly, in Matthew 24 and 25, when you go through that, you can see God deals, the Lord rather, is dealing with the three basic categories of people on the earth, which are the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church of God. In the first section, Matthew 24, he deals with the Jews. And that's, um, he speaks in that section in a very literal way of the Jewish nation, of how they're going to be dealt with up until the end of the age, and in the end times. Then in the second section, he picks up the matter of the church. And that's where you find these two parables, and he talks about also the, the, the servant who should be giving food to the, uh, his fellow servants at the proper time. That's in this section of Matthew 24 and 25. And then after that, uh, he speaks of the sheep and the goats. Uh, that begins in uh, matthew twenty five thirty one that 's dealing with the nations the gentiles that 's the third class of people so and and that 's where you see uh, the during the millennium you have the uh, god fearing Gentiles brought into uh, the the heavenly not into the, the kingdom of the heavens itself but brought under the ruling of god 's uh uh, the faithful believers during that 1,000 year period, whereas the evil, the, the, the people on the earth who did not fear God are cast into the lake of fire. That's Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats, beginning in verse 31. So there you have ones who are cast into the lake of fire. But in Matthew 25, when it's talking about the unfaithful servant, it says he doesn't, he doesn't go to the lake of fire, he goes to that outer darkness. That's a different place. So all that is just to say, even where we find these parables should tell us these two parables are speaking of believers. But many people do try to deny that these parables could possibly be speaking of believers because their understanding is once our sins are forgiven, there can't be a real problem between us and God anymore because we're forgiven. What more could happen to us? What more could we need? And so uh, we really need to look at these parables and see if there's any basis by which uh, we can Say that these are not believers, or do we have to look at them and say yes, these really are the believers in Christ? And so uh, maybe we'll stop here for this segment, and we'll continue in the next section to look at uh, the parable of the ten virgins. And also, if uh, if you have any phone uh, questions, give us a call. We already, like as I say, already have a couple questions to get into, but that number is again seven seven three. This program is produced, along with our website, thechristianfaith.org, to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by His mercy, may use thechristianfaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge, both of our Savior and of our faith in Him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for His purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website, or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at org. May this program and thechristianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children, for His sake and His glory. Amen. Hello and welcome back to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. So, uh, in this section, as I say, we want to get into the matter of the the parable of the ten virgins, which is really something, quite a picture. Uh, and we'll just go through that verse by verse. Because again, we need to consider, is this parable talking about believers or is it for unbelievers? We need to have a basic understanding of that. And, uh, and I'll, you know, maybe a little spoiler alert. Uh, there's no question this parable is talking about believers. The only reason some people have to try to say, that it's really referring to unbelievers is uh, because it doesn't fit their theology if they understand it the other way. There just is no basis whatsoever for saying this refers to uh, unbelievers. And uh, before we talk about this, I do want to okay. We we need to give another illustration to uh, understand in general how we should come to the parables. And because some people would say another way they deal with this parable is say, well, you can't be too specific about it because these you can't look too specifically at these different points that this parable is bringing up. The Lord's just kind of speaking here in a general way. But in Matthew 13, the Lord shows us how to come to the parables, and and you know the disciples he he told the parable of the tares and the wheat about the um, a man sowed good seed in his field. Uh, and then the people who were supposed to be watching it slept, and and an enemy comes and sows tares among the wheat. And later on, in Matthew 13, uh, 36, the disciples, uh, he comes into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows this good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And then he goes on he applies all these things. Then as the tares are gathered and turned, uh, in the fire, so, burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of this age. And he goes on. But the real point of that parable, again it's Matthew 13, is to, is to show us how seriously we need to take the parables in general. We shouldn't just dismiss them. When the Lord says something, it really means something. Don't just brush it off. It has a real specific meaning. You know, we began this whole program in the very first uh, episode or two showing, saying that um, we need to come to the scripture in the same way Jesus did. And this is another example of that. If we want to study the parables and know the parables, we need to realize each point is very significant. The Lord never says anything in a light way or in a uh, way that's not meaningful. It's very meaningful. And so when we see the different points in this parable, we have to realize each one really is very meaningful. So let's come back. It's Matthew 25, uh, starting in at the beginning of the chapter, verse one, and we'll just go through it verse by verse. Then the kingdom of the heavens shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So he's saying, uh, this is about the kingdom of the heavens. I want you to learn something here about the kingdom of the heavens. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. And this is one of the most basic points of the parable. These were all virgins before the Lord. Uh, The next verse um, says, no, verse verse 1 rather says, they went out to meet the bridegroom. These are, are all virgins who are going out to meet the bridegroom. The Lord does not say here, there were five were true virgins and five were false virgins. It's not a question of whether they're true or false. The question is whether they're wise or foolish. And just the fact that they're going out to meet the bridegroom shows that he's talking here about the believers. Unbelievers don't do that. They're not going out to meet Christ. As the believers in Christ, we all should be going out to meet the bridegroom. You know, when you talk about a young person graduating from college, you know, you you talk about they go out into the world to make their fortune. That shouldn't be our case as the believers. As believers in Christ, we should be going forth to meet our bridegroom, going forth from the world, leaving the world to meet our heavenly bridegroom. So again, right away, you see, this is for sure, it's talking about the believers. But there is a difference between the two. Because it says five were wise and five were foolish. Uh, Those who were foolish took their lamps with them and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So the, the wise had a supply of oil. And I'm not going to take the time to get into exactly what that means here. But they had an extra supply of oil. And oil, of course, in the Bible, all through the Bible, is a type of the Holy Spirit. That's saying, it's saying the believers... They didn't just have oil in their lamps. They had oil in their vessels. They had an extra supply of oil in their vessels. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. So when the Lord comes back, they hear the midnight cry. They hear the, the, the cry of the bridegroom. Again, that's not talking about unbelievers. There's just no way to say this parable is talking about unbelievers. Uh, at midnight a cry was heard behold the bridegroom go out to meet him and they go forth again so you just can't say there's no way is to try to say these are unbelievers is just not an honest exposition of of the New Testament you're just doing everything you can to force your uh, theology on the New Testament and that's not not the way we should come to the Bible it says all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamp and the foolish said to the wise give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out so Uh, here we see the foolish, even the foolish, did have some oil. They had a small amount of the oil. That means they had been regenerated with the oil. The problem wasn't that they couldn't light their lamps. The problem was they couldn't keep them burning. They didn't have an adequate supply of the oil. Unbelievers don't have oil. They don't have anything of the spirit, but these foolish virgins did. They didn't have enough, but they did have a little bit. Okay, so the foolish said to the wise, "Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out." You know, um, the uh, this is really quite striking, quite a striking statement. The foolish believers, foolish virgins, wanted to borrow oil from the wise, the wise virgins. Why is that? Very simply, because that's what they'd done all, all throughout their life all throughout their Christian life. They never paid the price to get the oil themselves. They just borrowed it from others. This is, this is speaking of Christians who, they have a little enjoyment of Christ. They come to the meetings, uh, they may sing some songs, they may read the Bible a little bit. There's a little enjoyment there. But for the most part, their experience of the Spirit depends upon others paying the price to get the oil for them. They don't really pay the price before the Lord to buy the oil for themselves. And that's why they don't have oil when the Lord comes back. They haven't paid the price. We don't want to be that kind of a believer today. We need to be those who are really paying the price to gain the oil, spending time with the Lord, being faithful to him, preaching the gospel, serving him, so we have a supply of the oil for others. You know, Jesus said, whoever believes in me out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. We should all seek to have these rivers of living water flowing out of our innermost being. The church would be so blessed if there were so many more believers like that today. But unfortunately, so many, we won't have time to get into the next parable, but uh, that talks about burying our talents. Uh, So many believers today bury their talents. Uh, We shouldn't do that. We need to have faith uh, that we can serve the Lord and rise up to serve him and follow him and pay the price to gain the oil so that we can uh, supply others and not just look to others to supply us. But these believers when uh, they realize their oil lamps are going out, they're asking these the, the wise virgins, the one who did pay the price, to give them the oil and they say no, they can't do that. What they do say is uh, the wise answer is saying no, they're, unless are should not be enough for us and for you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And so here, the wise are telling them, you have to go and buy the oil for yourselves. You know, if we want to follow Christ, don't think there's we don't have to pay a price. We do. This the oil is spoken of here is not for free. The oil, the regenerating oil in our spirit, yes, that's a free gift of God. When when moment you believe in Christ, you get that oil in your spirit, that's enough to regenerate you. But the kind of oil spoken of here, that spirit operating in our whole being, the transforming work of the spirit, like we've spoken of in previous program that requires paying a price. And that's why the Lord says here, the wise will tell the foolish person no, you need to go and pay a price to get the oil for yourselves. It says, while they were went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. That's a very, very sober word. They go into the wedding feast. And as we've said, uh, you probably can't find a direct verse in the New Testament that says that wedding feast is the 1,000 year reign of Christ, but the implication really seems to be there. The door is shut for that 1,000 year uh, reign of Christ on the earth. At the very least, it's shut for that wedding feast. Whatever that wedding feast period of time is, the door is shut. and so these, the foolish virgins come back. Afterward, the other virgins also came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. They've gone away. They came back because now they have the oil. It's not a question of whether they have the oil or not, but they didn't get it in time. And as we said, if we pay the price to follow Christ in this age, we'll enter in with him to the wedding feast. If we don't pay the price then in this age, then we have to pay it in the next age. We'll still get the oil. We'll still, and at the very end, we're going to have the oil, but we won't have it in time to enter into the wedding feast, so we'll miss out on the wedding feast. Uh, Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us, but he answered and said to them, I do not know you. And then he's verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So here are the final two points that really show these are these this parable is speaking of believers they don't go to the lake of fire it doesn't say go away I'm I'm gonna cast you into the lake of fire he says that to the um, uh, wicked of the earth the goats in the, the parable in Matthew 25 he says depart into the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels that's not what he says to the foolish virgins all it says here is the door was shut they don't enter into the wedding feast that's their discipline because they weren't faithful to the Lord in this age, so they're not going to the lake of fire. It says they missed the wedding feast, and secondly, the lesson we're to draw from this parable is watch. Therefore, we need to be those who are watchful and waiting for the Lord's return, and I'll say uh, say this uh, that um, you know we being watchful. Is a key factor in our being ready for the lord's return it helps us to realize i don't live for the earth my life is is not for this present age so uh i have to be one who is looking for the lord's return and that's again that's not for unbelievers the word to unbelievers is at the beginning of the gospel of matthew repent for the kingdom the word to the believers here in christ is uh, watch therefore so again in every respect this parable does teach us uh, this is a warning to the believers that we may be shut out of the wedding feast. And that's a very, very sober word. Now, one argument, there is one argument that uh, the, those who teach otherwise need to, they try to raise. They say, because Jesus says to the uh, foolish virgins here, I don't know you. And in John chapter 10, I think it's verse 10, he says, uh, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Well, when you look at all the evidence that clearly shows us talking about believers, that you can't really use that verse to say, just to begin with you couldn't use that verse to say that these are um, not believers but the 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 what's the definitive answer is just to point out a simple fact it's the different the word for knowing in matthew twenty five is different from the word for knowing in john ten in uh john twenty five the word is oeda. in uh in Matthew twenty five, the word is oeda. In John ten, it's gnosko. There's the two basic words for knowing in the New Testament, and he uses a different word in each place. So you just can't use that argument to, to try to refute what this um, parable is showing us about these virgins being actual believers in Christ. So that's the, uh, that's the, a warning, a very very sober warning of this parable, and uh, we don't have time to get into the second parable in Matthew twenty five. Maybe we'll cover that next week. But even that, there the unfaithful servant is cast into the outer darkness. Here the punishment is you missed the wedding feast. There the unfaithful servant is cast into the outer darkness. Still referring to the believers. That's talking about the actual punishment that we may suffer. Uh, here we miss the reward. There we suffer the actual punishment. Uh, but again a very very sober word. So um, as I said we did have a couple questions. Uh, and I want to try to touch on these in just the few minutes that we have left. Uh, I may actually just have a chance to get to the one here, which is, uh, I think, more significant. And when, because this is a question I think probably a, a number of listeners may have, which is, okay, how how is this different from the matter of purgatory? Because the Catholics teach, they teach along the lines that uh, at, at this age, if, you, if your sins are kind of forgiven, but you may, you're not yet fully uh, purified from your sins, you have to go through purgatory and then you're ready to enter into God's presence. Well, I, I would say this, that first of all, when, what we're talking about has nothing to do with for the, for the forgiveness of sins directly. We, it's absolutely the case. The death of Christ on the cross was absolutely sufficient to pay the price for our sins. We're not adding anything to that. But what does need to happen, as believers in Christ, is we still need to be sanctified and we still need to be uh, transformed to be ready for the presence of the Lord. And I, I have to give the Catholics some credit here; they at least have some realization of that. When I was looking at their uh, some their explanation of purgatory, um, you know, as I was getting ready to try to answer this question, they say that's right. You know, they they say yes, uh, we're forgiven, but we still need to be. We do need to be, they they say purified, to be ready to meet the Lord. I would put it a little differently. say sanctified and also transformed by the very nature of Christ to be ready to meet the Lord. Um, but uh, another major point has to do with, this is just between us and God. The... Uh, the Catholics say you can offer up the sacrifices you know offer up masses, things like that you can pray for the dead no there's no such thing like that in the New Testament. This is simply how we are responsible for our own life before the Lord um, and only so that's determined at the judgment seat of Christ there's no no one can intercede for us it's simply God dealing with us according to how we lived our life on the earth so those are the two two things I would begin with and I guess that's uh, that's all we have time for this week. But, uh, again, if you have questions or comments, send us a note at notes at We'd love to hear from you. And uh, as the Lord leads, we'll continue with this topic next week. Praise the Lord. You've been listening to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. You can visit us online at our website thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions, send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify.